Hello and welcome to the Bath Student Opinion. In this episode, Tom and I are going to speak to Vera Hobhouse, MP for Bath, about the points put forward in our last episode with Finley and Charlie about tuition fees and the wider issue of social mobility at universities. Yes, and uh, last time we heard from Finley, he was talking about how uh, tuition fees are a big barrier to social mobility because of the, the, the cost, not just during university with the cost of living, but also when you graduate. On top of the cultural issues, which uh, both Finley and Charlie covered, about there's you know various parts of the country, various demographics who, you know, it's, it's less common to go to university, maybe discouraged perhaps as an issue in the school system. And Charlie, uh, along those lines, said that putting money into early years education was the way forward. Exactly. So what the Bar Student Opinion, our show, tries to achieve is to discuss issues that we feel aren't discussed enough or in enough depth in the broadcast media. So there's real no better person to talk to about this issue and see whether these things are being discussed in Parliament and in the wider legislative process than with Vera Hophouse, MP for Bath. Good morning, Vera. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. And today we are wanting to talk about tuition fees. It's most certainly been on the Treasury's radar in the last couple of months, especially with the increased budget deficit. We were just wondering, first of all, what is the Liberal Democrat position on tuition fees? Um, Our Liberal Democrat position is quite mooted because it was obviously politically one of the most disastrous things that happened in the last uh, 10 years, certainly for the during the coalition years. It has cost us a lot of confidence with the voters. We supported it at the time. And obviously, it's then very difficult to roll back from something that you supported. And let me remind you, I know this message is not necessarily very easy to convey why, why we actually thought at the time it was the right thing to do. And that was either you pay um, tuition fees out of general taxation. And that means everybody pays for students um, to have a student education. 50% of young people go to university, 50% of people don't. Once you've got a university degree, you end up usually with higher paid jobs. And so your qualification um, enables you over a lifetime to earn a lot more money than people who don't have that particular privilege. And therefore, looking at why should somebody who's never had a, a university education gets maybe an income over its lifetime of up to 30, 40,000 pounds, why should they, out of their general taxation contribution to the general pot, pay for the privilege of others uh, to earn a lot more money over a lifetime. It has become quickly clear that actually a lot of the money cannot be recovered. I think as Liberal Democrats, the main thing that we are saying is it was wrong to cut to cut the maintenance grants because that is the thing that really um, has hit students from lower income families particularly hard. As you say, lower income, but also students, as we've talked about on the previous show, have been disproportionately disadvantaged. And this is something that is going to perpetuate in the long term with students having to pay for not just, of course, their tuition fees, but also wider government expenditure over the last 18 months or so. So we were wondering, as one example, which the Treasury has admitted to looking into, is decreasing the minimum requirement of repayment. Do you have a personal position on that at all? Education in itself has value. So anything that discourages people from taking up a good education, good learning is wrong. And and therefore, um, supporting young people like you to take up the opportunity now in your life uh, to get a good education and be able to afford it is, of course, paramount. 
I would always say, though, because I try to be fair and I'm a big supporter of further education, that goes across the board. And we often say schools and universities and we are leaving out a big part of other education that is there as well. And that's further education. That's the sector that's been most hit by cuts. I like to think in the round and, and consider everybody. And as I said before, yes, of course, not everybody uh, uh, who has a university degree ends up being a very high earner. But we have to also look at those who are, who are in further education, whose education also is being severely cut. Also, let's look at adult learning and learning throughout life. All those opportunities need to be looked at and how are we as society going to fund that? It doesn't only affect universities. And I would urge you as people who are attending university to also look at those who are doing other forms of education, further education, lifelong learning, retraining, all the rest of it. I think as grown up and politically thinking uh, young people, it is important that you don't only look at your section of education. You mentioned it earlier, how with the new tuition fee system, it's becoming very apparent that tuition fees are having to be written off after a certain amount of time. In, in terms of the economic side of things, how does that result in the taxpayer taking up the slack anyway? How do you really strike the balance between adequate funding for unis um, from tuition fees and ensuring fees can be repaid? Because, you know, like you said, with the fairness argument, there's the fact that you don't want people to take up that money through general taxation. However, if people can't repay them, that happens anyway. On the contrary, especially with our previous show, we went through a lot of, um, say, when we spoke to someone from Sussex University, they said that the university funding model after the changes uh, under the coalition have changed more towards a landlord-based model where they up the price of student accommodation to get extra funding, plus there's various other streams of, of revenue. This arguably has resulted in a disproportionate level of funding for certain universities. At the same time, all universities have also whacked their tuition fee right up to the possible maximum. How do you strike that balance? How do you strike that balance between adequate funding for all universities through this system and ensuring fees can be repaid? To recap, the reason why uh, the tuition fees were called tuition fee rather than a graduate tax was because we have a large amount of foreign students in the UK. The university sectors are actually very successful and popular. We are getting large amounts of um, young learners from outside the UK. And if it would have been a graduate tax, the universities wouldn't have been able to recuperate the money from foreign students. And if you if you ask universities, a large amount of their income comes from in university students from outside the UK. And, and therefore, it was called tuition fees, because then foreign students would be able under in, international regulations so on and so forth to pay back their fees. And indeed, foreign students pay more than, than UK students. And it's part of UK PLC, yeah, that we are a successful university sector. So of course, every university wants to market itself uh, as a very successful university. And, and that is unfortunately represented in what is the amount of money uh, you ask for it, because you think you can get it. And indeed, most universities universities could get that money. One of the things that has been shown that originally the numbers of um, students from poorer backgrounds actually increased rather than it decreased during the coalition years. What the statistics are currently, I don't know. One of the big things that I find is absolutely unacceptable uh, and, and is probably also the biggest part uh, of your budgets is um, the high cost of renting accommodation. That's the sort of thing that I focus on. It is particularly that, uh, you know, the rent of privately rented stuff is just unacceptable. The, the room 
rooms and many of you um, are renting, including in Bath, are substandard. These sort of things is where I'm concentrating my efforts on and making sure that, that private landlords don't get away with murder, charging you the earth uh, for something that is totally unacceptable and how we can actually reduce student costs in that sense, uh, because a lot of your, your, your money goes just on renting a room. On that sort of tangent, we spoke to two students and they both had different takes on what really is the barrier to entry for in terms of social mobility. Finley uh, and Charlie, they both agreed, as you said, that the fact that grants have been taken away is unacceptable. And uh, Finley himself, he's from Wales, he said he would not have been able to even study in Bath if it wasn't for one, his grant, and two, his gold bursary. However, he did state that the financial impact is still very much a barrier, where he said, when you come from a disadvantaged community, you already in some ways have greater costs, either socially or fiscally. Meanwhile, Charlie, he stated that the the, the largest barrier it wasn't this, you know, worry about the finances themselves. It was about the cultural impact. He correctly stated that the demographic in this country, which least goes to university, are uh, northern white men. Where would you strike that barrier? Is the, um, the cost of living scares and perhaps the postgraduate costs, is that a barrier or to what extent is it? Or would you say it's largely in this country a cultural barrier where certain communities discourage university education more than others? It's complex. If you wanted to unpick what are barriers um, to social mobility, then there's a lot of it in, in there. And the financial cost of going to university definitely pays a part and, and we shouldn't uh, underestimate that or put it completely away. But if you're looking um, at the cultural aspects, why certain people from particular socioeconomic backgrounds are more likely to go to university than others, then of course you need to, to dig a lot deeper why that is. And we, my, my family and I, we used to live in the Northwest, so we were uh, living in Rochdale, so the best part of my children's education, 15 years in Rochdale, I was a counsellor there and I was a, I was teaching at a secondary school in, in one of the very deprived areas of Greater Manchester. There are a lot of reasons why young people, and I taught boys, from the, those communities wouldn't um, access uh, higher education. It started at school. You know, they just didn't value education in the same way as, for example, people do who come from wealthier backgrounds. For them, school was just a chore rather than something that they valued and wanted to make the most of. And the sooner they could get out of it, the better. You have have to, to recognise that for a lot of young people from deprived backgrounds, the curriculum, in my view, is not necessarily tailored to their needs. It, your education educates completely or parallel to their own experience, to the stuff that, that people value, to the things that, that seem relevant. And if you've, got, if you've got a school curriculum, for example, teaching German, I was teaching German, and I, in many ways, as much as, you know, I, I wanted to teach German, I felt sorry for these guys, crammed some German into them. They didn't even know where the country was. How did it matter? Why was that actually something that mattered to them, their lives, their experience and what they could use later on in life? So I think one should also just look at school curricula and say, well, is that actually relevant? And what is putting people off to staying in education because it's been not enjoyable? And that was Vera Holphouse. Um, a massive thank you to Vera for once again coming on the show. What, what was her fundamental position on tuition fee and wider social mobility for students? It was... The fact that uh, tuition fees, you know, is, as she said herself, a graduate tax. It just rejigged a bit so that international students are able to, uh, you know, join universities, be part of our education system as part of what she calls UK PLC. Um, there's also the fact that she says that the money is not so much of an issue for that reason. A lot of it goes back into the early years. As she said, she was a teacher in Manchester. Um, you know, when we talked about how a lot of the people from deprived areas 
um, are you know they're less likely to go to university. Make it harder to go to university. It's more that that education is not valued. There is that, that's part of the the whole idea behind Charlie's argument, which she reflects mostly more much more than Finney's argument, if at all, mm. um, is that early years is what is neglected. We need to have a lot more robust uh, and you know strong uh, encouragement at university in those early years to get people into education, you know, get people working and in that kind of mindset and not have people just like in the sort of, you know, uh, culturally ended up ending in, in the dregs of their own minds saying they can't do it, they can't like move up. No, but but, but at the same but at the same time not put universities on a pedestal, which is slightly contradictory, but it's something that we discuss later with the... Uh, CEO of Migrant Leaders, a charity trying to help disadvantaged young people. But for now, the points fundamentally from Finley and Charlie, Finley is just the fact that the money aspect is just incredibly daunting. Obviously, you have a larger a uh, maintenance loan than the than other students. But beyond that, there is still a, a, a very large financial element. And then with Charlie it was far more aligned, as you say, to Vera, which was early years education and then alongside that cultural. So do you not think that she answered any of Finley's points? The whole aspect of the fact that the money is off-putting, um, I, I, there wasn't really much of a rebuttal there. It was Obviously, there was the, the talk about the grants, which, you know, uh, Finley talks about how, you know, if it wasn't for his grant, it wasn't for his scholarship, he wouldn't be able to even study at the Uni of Bath. But... There, so there's there, obviously there's the fact that we should bring back grants, fine. Um, in order of actually addressing the tuition fee system, one thing that I think we probably should have talked about is the fact that there are some people who have lived in this country for many years but also don't have a visa who are classed as international students who have to pay mm. the full whack, what is it, £27,000? Uh, yeah, for international fees, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we should probably address that ourselves at some point as well, but, which but we do address with migrant leaders. Her, her position was looking at the systemic argument but seeing that solution to be in early years rather than to be for those who are already in the system so when I put to her why do you think that Bath um, and, and other some of the most selective universities in the United Kingdom why do they have some of the l- lowest admission rates for people who want some free, free school meals because when you look at the statistics, it was tagged with our previous episode on, on Spotify. You can see that students who did go to uni- University of Bath, previously from disadvantaged backgrounds, their mobility rate was about 40% on average, which is incredibly high compared to the national average. So that's clearly not a problem. The quality of education, and that is the reason why universities are clearly, um, as argued by the IFS, engines for social mobility exactly and that is where we kind of get into the whole thing with the you know why put university on a pedestal as we find out next week you know um uh, ellen makes a really good argument Mm. uh, about how when it comes to stem subjects sure university is fantastic when it comes to more hands-on subjects you know maybe when it comes to things like the financial sector an apprenticeship arguably is, is actually more beneficial it's just that when it comes to they're the engine of social mobility they're good but we should put them on a pedestal how are you addressing that when a, when universities have been encouraged so much ever since the 90s especially under like you know the new, the new labor government as we were growing up university was like you know you should go to university it's the next step in your education you won't get paid st- st- you know stats show you won't get mm. paid as well you don't go to university as she says and then go oh but you're not it's not so bad when people don't go because we shouldn't 
put them on such a pedestal. Because the problem is, currently, um, as Vera said herself, there aren't that many alternatives to university. So your, your choice is not go to university... You're, you save yourself a lot of debt, which you uh, would eventually, hopefully, pay off if you do a subject and go to a university that would facilitate such an income. It, th- th- there currently aren't many alternatives for which one can consider, so it's a, it's a bit difficult. In our second part of Vera's interview, she does look for some more solutions. I would always say, though... Do not overlook further uh, further education. When my guys um, in the schools that I taught told me at the age of 16 that they were going to go to sixth form colleges or go, going on to do A-levels, I would say wonderful, uh, um, fantastic. But when people said, I'm taking up an apprenticeship or I'm going into further education college and I, I wanted to learn, you know, landscape gardening or or, or, or hairdressing or whatever it was, don't underestimate that that is also valuable and valuable education. Um, and do not be too snobbish about higher education versus other forms of education. That's really interesting because the one of the largest um, points that Charlie made was along those same lines. Is Do you think that's where the problem lies? Do you think once people get that out of their head, do you think the system is actually financially fair enough to allow people to get through afterwards? Well, um, we had great social disadvantage and, and, and social inequalities before we had tuition fees. Um, a general widening of, 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 of the gap and inequalities and probably a lot to do with inherited wealth. Um, so as soon as you've got the bank of mum and dad, life becomes easier all round. Um, and so we, we need to look at financial and, and, and fiscal um, uh, interventions uh, uh, that, that might equalise that. But I don't think it will ever happen because house owning, asset owning is obviously a big stuff uh, in, in, in Britain and I think it's going to happen there. So let's go to, to early, um, um, early years education. I'm the chair of the all-party parliamentary group for the prevention of, um, of childhood trauma. So, um, you know, a, a, a big um, a, a big indicator of how well you're going to do in life is, you know, for the, for the first thousand days of your life, so how you're being brought up. There are horrific statistics about one in six um, young children grow up in fragile households who are disadvantaged from day one, and they then become the adults of the next generation. So it's a perpetuating... Uh, a cycle of disadvantage that we are creating in certain parts of the community. I would say a lot more money uh, in in early years, early intervention, recreate um, the amount of funding that was available for Sure Start centres, um, give uh, give give councils a lot more money to deal with children's social care, which has also been massively depleted, and that's probably um, a much more profound and structural way uh, in in intervening or you know trying to address inequalities and necessarily um uh, university tuition fees would do that doesn't mean that tuition fees also play a part but for those who would miss out on this intervention those you know growing up right now in those first 1000 days going through the system this morning tom and i were discussing a report published by the ifs talking about the importance of universities for social mobility the university of bath only admits 1% of students who had free school meals at secondary school when you don't have the financial resource in order to get to these universities do you think that there could be an intervention there financial support always helps you know ultimately um Will we ever go back um, to a, a system where um, university education is going to be paid out of general taxation? Uh, I don't think that will happen anytime soon. I mean, as I keep saying, we, 
that the reasons um, why people from, you know, lower socioeconomic income um, backgrounds um, don't access um, university education have, are, are, are often deeper rooted and are also about um, culture, are also about careers advice. I mean, one of the other things that I've always uh, wondered about is, you know, the rubbish career advice that everybody gets at, at, at schools. And, uh, and so there are, there are an, an, a number of things um, where we could do a lot better as a country. And, and for example, I'd say, it, um, it also costs money, but resourcing proper careers advice at school that, that also then encourages people from different backgrounds to actually look at university education as something that might be interesting for them. Um, those, those are also interventions that doesn't, don't have to cause the earth, but might actually make a difference. You know, we've been really, really valued your time and uh, all of your expertise. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and good luck. And do not uh, think that I do not understand that you're under big um, financial and emotional pressure with the financial burdens that, that are on you. Any financial um, relief that can be given to those who really need it is obviously uh, what we should do politically. Well, what a great way to end Vera's interview there. And what it really concludes is for Vera, it really is a lot cultural. Yes. Here. It is, how do we look for solutions before students even get to university? How do disadvantaged young people see routes to higher education? Um, and, and how can schools help with that? So it's perhaps less to do with universities themselves from Vera's position. And the systemic problem can be resolved early on. Perhaps. Yeah. If universities really are this launch pad of social mobility, getting people to actually approach them uh, open-mindedly, you know, beyond these cultural barriers is one of the most important ways of doing it. And in complete fairness, these, uh, you know, careers advice, career services at school should be massively expanded. I think if you went to a secondary school of careers, I mean, there was always careers advice, you know, careers events at school, but they were, they weren't Mine exactly fleshed terrible. out. Did you, did you have duck days? We'd go in the hall and we'd be assigned to teams and we had to make origami ducks, which we then had to sell to the judges. And apparently this was careers enrichment. I couldn't tell you how. Could it not be perhaps if you were considering a I don't know, a, a, an occupation in sales. Perhaps, um, although I don't know how much making origami ducks really fleshes out the, uh, the expertise side of that. But regardless, it is just, you know, once again, another symptom of the fact that, yes, careers service, careers events, just getting people into the right mindset, knowing what they need to do to succeed, to move up that ladder, is actually incredibly important. And I thought it was also interesting when I spoke to her about why, why is it that there is such poor admission rates for uh, disadvantaged students? Is the correlation between different ranked universities in terms of their selectivity, their admission rates for disadvantaged young people, is that just because of early years education? I don't know. I think the underlying argument for me is there is no alternative to tuition fees. As, as we find out in, our, in what will be our next episode, there needs to be an approach, like I said earlier, where it's like, so if universities aren't accepting, you know, disadvantaged students, as, as we know with Bath, is that because of what their admissions process? Why are other universities doing that differently? When it comes to different kinds of schools, why is that the case? Is there a correlation with income? Um, you know, as Charlie said, white working class boys in the northeast are the least likely demographic in this country to go to university by proportion. Why is that the case? What are we doing to help it? It just seems to be early years, get people into careers, change their mindset, 
Um, and then there doesn't really seem to be any nuance in between. Yeah, and I had many conversations after our first episode about that. And they were like, Joel, why, why do you think this is the case? Why do you think that an insignificant proportion of disadvantaged young people at selective universities? And I couldn't provide them with a, an empirical answer. I was like, I genuinely don't know. But clearly, from Finley's point of view, it's, it's money. But then also an, an element of culture. It is... My my school, you you wouldn't see people going to university, so that then it wasn't an an option. But then Charlie was more, as as we said before, cultural, agreeing with Finley there. But then seeing the seeing the solution elsewhere. So clearly, it isn't a black and white issue for which us to discuss or understand or position any sort of alternatives. Unfortunately, because it, it, the issue is multifaceted. Exactly. If you just scrap tuition fees, then, you know, that, I mean, that was the case before we were born. I mean, you know, mm. it was Blair who brought them in in the 2000s, I think. So, but, you know, we now currently have a higher rate of people going to university than ever before. So, you know. Which, which we want. Which we want. <laughs> it's true. Mm. But at the same time, there are still these glaring issues. So if you just scrap them, that's not just suddenly going to solve the problem no. because they did that in the past. Exactly. That's one element of a larger structure needs to be, yes, the careers service. There's changing people's mindset. But why culturally are people being disadvantaged? What about the responsibilities? With the, with the national insurance, with energy prices, with the tax after you go to university, all of these things, they're terrifying to people, especially who do not have the support they need to get themselves, one, for university, and two, to the start of their careers. Exactly. So, oh, it's, it, it, it is a difficult one. And this is why The Bath Student Opinion is the only show where both presenters are completely underqualified to actually talk about the issue on hand. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't think we've ever, ever addressed why the show is called The Bath Student Opinion, or, as a slight acronym, The BS, BS opinion. opinion. Because I, we, even on our social media handle, we've, we've never, ever discussed it. We've just been like, yes, this is our name. <laughs> But it's because we are also students. We, you are with us, listening to our show on our journey of understanding. You know, because hopefully, if we are able to actually amplify students' opinions, students' voices, and students' experiences to the people who actually do, are, or at least supposed to know what it is they're talking about, maybe we can actually try and think of a way in which we can move past um, this slight swamp of of policy and uh, and cultural issues that we are currently encompassed within. So thank you very much for listening to the Bath Student Opinion. In our next episode, we will speak to Elam Fardad, the CEO of Migrant Leaders. I, it was a fantastic interview. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in the near future. Good evening. Bye-bye. <laughs>